This is Kona Bible Church. Thanks for listening. We pray that you will experience God's blessing as you consider Pastor Brian's latest message from his series, A Love Summons, from the book of 1 Corinthians. Independence, okay, right there, uh, you want to separate from independence, all right? And and you want to do that in a number of different ways. Uh, One with the sacraments, gifts, and and then deference. But you want to embrace interdependence, okay? Now, okay, I have to explain this just a little bit, all right? So I'm coming to you. I'm coming into you because you all sit so far back, all right? Now, here's the reality. I want you to just close your eyes. I want you to be able to think of a loaf of bread I want you to think of being in the community of faith, and I want you to be thinking of just eating that bread and realizing it's the body of Christ. Uh, Perhaps it's a little dry, a little too much flour, maybe. Uh, And now I want you to think about the wine, a big glass of flowing wine, uh, tasty. Okay. Now, uh, come out with me a little bit. Come rise out of that vision for a second. How, how, how nourished do you feel reflecting on that? As nursed as if you literally ate the bread and drank the wine? No chance, folks. No chance. Especially if we start to use the language of this is a feast, Right? Literally, there are some groups of uh, faith communities who celebrate communion that way. They don't even eat the bread. They don't even drink the wine or grape juice, whatever you want to have. They, they just think about it. That is not the Christian faith. The Christian faith is sacramental. Okay? Now, I, I sucker punched the Lutherans with this point. Okay? I waited till the end. But there is something else that is sacramental, and it's why you are holding paper and pencils and pens. Because the sacramental life involves, think about just learning, right? How do you learn? Do you learn best by just somebody talking at you? No, that is not how you learn best. You learn best when you actually involve yourself in the sacramental life and pick up a pencil, and pick up a pen and do the, the, the work of filling in the blanks. Believe it or not, you will, you will learn more. And it is all kind of inherent within the sacramental life. Now, I said this at the end of the sermon in the Lutheran service when nobody was filling out the blanks. And it felt really rude. <laughs> so I started at the beginning with y'all. So that you didn't, you know, get to the end and me hit you with this one and then like be like looking at you. The reality is we have great grace. So if you don't want to fill out the blanks, you've got freedom and grace not to fill out the blanks. But the point being is that we do live in this sacramental life and it is not an independent life. So when you think about the sacraments of the whole, uh, well, let's talk about baptism first. Every once in a while, I, I, it's crazy. I've been here 18 years, been pastoring basically that whole time. Every once in a while, we'll get a, somebody from the, the mainland, and they'll call up and they're like, Pastor, I'm going to be in Hawaii. Um, can, can you baptize me? And when I hear that, like, I sh- like part of me shrivels inside, right? And I'm like, like that. And then I go, 
Is anybody going to be with you? Right? Because baptism is not an individual thing. Now, because we have great grace, I'm happy to go and, you know, provide that meaningful moment for them. I get it. But the reality is baptism is you standing. You already know, if you are a person of faith, you have already been born again in the Spirit. Okay, that's what baptism in the Spirit means, is that you believe there is a God who is able to raise the dead back to life through the forgiveness of sins offered in Jesus' name. When Cornelius did that, boom, the Holy Spirit fell on him. Right? He was baptized into the Spirit before water baptism. Now, he was encouraged to get water baptism. Why? Because we are in an interdependent relationship with one another. And so for him to be able to stand up in a group of people and say, I'm being baptized because I want you all to know what has taken place in my heart, that I want the outward reality to match the inward reality so that I then have access to that table. Right? So we get baptized and we, we proclaim to the community, I have the right to come to this table. And then when you get to the table, it is also not an individual moment. Right? When you come to the table, you are eating and, and fellowshipping with God and with one another. And so you have this opportunity to kind of come up and say, because I believe this, I am now in kind of submission. That's kind of a, a loaded word, right? But I am putting myself in your company so that I have accountability, so that we have accountability to one another. So it's an interdependent. So when we think about this idea of overcoming division, separating from division, one of the things that you need to separate from is this idea of independence. And the sacraments are gonna like highlight the fact when they're understood correctly, they're going to highlight the fact that this is an interdependent situation, right? So uh, I say that at the beginning so that if you want to write in the blanks, you can involve yourself in a sacramental thing to be able to do uh, as a part of that. And it would be a good way to begin to separate from division and overcome some of that independence and say, no, you know what? I'm going to be in this. I'm in an interdependent relationship. I want to learn these things. It also speaks of the gifts, right? That we have been gifted by God in order, not for our own benefit, but for one another, right? Interdependence. And then we have this idea of deference that I, I'll probably get to later. Okay, I had to start there just so we didn't get to the end and then me laugh on the inside by hitting you with a little right hook there. Okay, so you don't have to write fill in the blanks, but if you want to, you're welcome to, all right? Now, I will say, I really hope you get the first one. If you don't get the first one, I'm going to feel like an utter, complete failure especially since the answer is behind me right now, okay? All right, we've had this series, the Love Summons. We're going to be in this series of Love Summons because we're probably going to be looking at a number of Paul's epistles, and they are all under this idea of a, a, a summons or a love summons. We'll get to that in a second. But 1 Corinthians in particular is that we have this, this, this thing that we need to separate from, and it's called what? I feel like a failure. Separate from, Div thank you, Bob, that's why I hired him a couple years ago, 
He's a yes man, if nothing else. <laughs> division. Jesus! Oh, no, division. All right, sorry. Enough jokes. Uh, so, yes, separate from division. So let's unpack that a little bit, okay? Uh, for the first thing, when we think of church, church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, meaning called out. That's literally kind of the, the definition. And what we think of that, when we think of that, I'm, I'm, what I've invited you to consider is it's a gathering of those summoned, right? That calling out is actually this idea of uh, God has the authority to summons you. Right? He has the authority to do that. He's the creator of the universe, and he's, he's coming down. He's going, I need to get my people. Right? They chose a will apart from me, and because they did that, they are now not experiencing life. They're experiencing corruption, and it's affecting every aspect of their life. I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to call some people out so that they might be separated from that corruption and be able to return and experience life. And the more people that do that the more I'm going to reclaim the world in the image that I in originally intended to make it. So you have this idea of it's a gathering of those summoned, and I love that. So I hope that you're beginning to incorporate that into your worldview, that when you go to church, you're actually responding to a summons from the Creator. He has the authority to do this for you, to call you. And the thing you can't forget Unlike a judge, unlike any other authority, he's calling you in love. He loves you. He wants, to, he wants you to experience life, life abundant and life eternal. So uh, that's the second blank there, summoned, right? A gathering of those called out or summoned. The next thing that separate, you, you know, Pastor, why do you use that word separate? Well, separate comes from the term holy, Okay, holy is this idea of being set apart, right? So something that is holy is not common. It's not mundane. It's something that is like, ooh, that's nice. That's separate. That's special. It's like grandma's china, right? Like, ooh, that's the holy china. Don't, in fact, your grandma, I mean, she may, she may have actually treated that china as holy, right? Like, you know, you can't touch that, right? I mean, it only comes out once a year probably, right? If, if at all. All right, enough with the grandma. Holy, set apart. With God, it's talking about purity, right? There's this purity level. So when you're thinking about corruption, if we have all been corrupted by our willful choice coming, uh, you know, saying, I want this, which is what, not what God wants, then we are all corrupted and experiencing it outrageously. Well, all of a sudden, God's saying, no, I'm going to come down and I'm going to call out. I'm going to gather them together. I'm going to summon them in love so that they separate themselves from the corruption that's not leading to life, okay? That's why we use that term separate. Then we have this idea of being saved. I've talked about that in here before. In some evangelical circles, they don't always, there's almost this like, once saved, always saved, right? And almost a failure to recognize that, that this salvation process is a process, right? So there is a point in time which we go, oh yeah, I was struck by the fact uh, that there is a God who's able to raise the dead back to life through the forgiveness of sins offered in Jesus. Now, I remember that moment when I first heard that, and I was like, yes, I'm in, I want that. But then, guess what you have to do the next day? Believe it all over again. Right? I mean, like, each day, you got to keep believing that all over again. Right? Because Paul says, instead of being conformed to the pattern of this world, you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind 
through Scripture. So this being saved is, is an idea of the process. We call that a big theological word, sanctification. You've probably heard that before. It's being made holy. The process by which you are being separated from corruption. That's great. It, you could call it growing in holiness. Or I'm going to give you a word here. I'm going to say maturity in the faith. And I'm using that because Paul uses that language in 1 Corinthians. He's speaking to a bunch of immature Christians. Now, here's when I think of maturity in the faith, right? I think a little bit of, of like when you're speaking the things of truth, how well those things are received by the audience, right? And so like a pastor can kind of tell. You know, when, when things are tracking, when people are tracking, even if I'm in, having a coffee or a conversation with something, and I move toward a spiritual conversation, I can tell whether, you, whether I'm talking to John Gotti or I'm talking to Joe Christian. Right? Who's John Gotti? Mafia guy, the Teflon Don, right? Because the government went after John Gotti, and every time they tried to prosecute him, charges didn't stick, right? So everything's bouncing off him. I can tell when I'm speaking spiritual things to people, I can tell whether it's bouncing off you or if, if you're receiving it. Now, I, I can't necessarily tell right here, right, like, you know, like this. But when I'm talking, like, how you respond to different things, and believe it or not, there's tells. There's tells that you have in your life. And here's a, a way that you can have some self-awareness, because we all want to be mature, right? We're like, we're all sitting there going, oh, he's not talking about me. I'm one of the mature ones. Right? We all want to be that person. Like, we think we're mature. In fact, there was a time when it was funny. Uh, somebody thought I was mature. I, I was up at the other church, and, and the pastor's wife came to my wife. And she's like, oh, your husband's very mature. Like, this is like when we first started getting to know each other, right? Like, she's like, oh, he's very mature. And then she found out that I was older than she thought. And she's like, oh, he's not very mature at all. And, and so, like, there's this perception thing, right? It's not just associated with age. You can be old and immature, right? And you can be young and mature. Like, it's not just on age. So it would be helpful, I think, for you to know that there's a tell that pastors get together and we talk about. We talk about y'all when we get together. And we're like, and so do you pastor a mature church or do you pastor an immature church? We, every time we get together, it's the same thing, right? Uh, it's not true. We don't say this at all, okay? But if we were, here's the tell. Are you ready for the tell? How much division are you experiencing in your life? That's what 1 Corinthians is all about. How much division is in your life? How united are you in your life with people? If you are united with people, you are mature, if you, and, and remember what unity, let me give you that helpful phrase from, I think it's Larry Osborne said this, what, the goal in, in, in our relationships is unity, not uniformity, okay? We're not all, we don't just get around the people that we like because, oh, you voted the right way, or oh, you like the, you don't like mushrooms either, although I'll hang out with y'all if you don't like mushrooms, all right? Uh, you, like, uh, it's not just about the same values. We can be different and still united. Different ages, different genders, different every, any, whatever the differences is, when you have people involved in your life who, if, you are not, if you're in an echo chamber, you are immature. 
Okay, if, if, you, if the only people that you talk to, that you hear, the only voices that you are hearing are all voices that agree with you, I hate to break it, but that's the tell. That's the tell to tell me that you're immature. So when, we, when we're processing this stuff, there's this idea of going maturity in the faith is this process of being saved. It means that you are leaving behind the corruption of division and you are maturing in the faith. Paul says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he said, I wish that I could give you meat to eat, but you're not ready. You're a bunch of immature John Gotti's. You're not ready for this. So he's trying to essentially have them mature in their faith. All right, the last thing, fourth one on, the, on just the opening here is breeding division comes naturally to us. Now, uh, contrary to popular opinion, at the Kaiser household, on Tuesday nights, we do not have learn how to be divided. We don't do that. We don't do that. We don't, we don't teach how to, how to steal. We don't teach uh, how to say, be selfish. Uh, we don't teach, and we definitely don't teach how to be prideful. Why? Why don't we have those lessons for our kids? Because they all come naturally. No, the lessons that we have to have for our kids and for the teacher is how to be humble, how to be selfless, how to be in unity with one another, because those things do not come naturally. And so as you are here, as you have responded to the summons, because God loves you and he wants you to be in unity with one another, not necessarily uniformity, so that you can experience life, all right? All right, now, basically, whatever you can see that you, that you should separate from, like all these things that breed division, we're going to go through just a, a litany of things that breed division. For everything that you can separate from, you also can embrace the opposite, essentially. So that's why you have the two columns. All right, so here's, here's what breeds division. Elevating your group identity. Okay, I don't know what group you're in. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I mean, I got, look, we got a Redskins fan in the house today, all right? A Redskins fan in the OG, I'm not talking about you. Put your hand down. Nobody wants to see that. I'm talking about the, the Redskins fan in the house. It's very problematic. Not only is he in this house, he's in my house right now, which is even worse. You see what I'm doing? I'm raising, I'm elevating a group identity over another group identity. Do you think that's going to breed unity or division? Right? Now, in sports, it's kind of fun to have a little bit of that rivalry, so that's why we, we, we do that. But you know what also happens outside stadiums sometimes? People get into fights and, and die because of, of elevating your group identity over another group identity. Jason, it's okay that you like the Redskins. You're never going to win, probably, but, I mean, it's fine. It's okay. Yeah, it's a good group to be a part of. Yeah. I affirm your group. We all have groups. It's not just sports. Maybe you're into book reading and your book club and other people are podcasters. Whatever your group is, it's okay to be part of the group, right? We're all going to have those natural groupings, but when you elevate those groups above another, that's when you start to breed division. So you have to separate from elevating this idea of our group identities, you got to separate from that. And you need to embrace him. This is, all right, everybody, you all get this one. 
You need to embrace who? Jesus, right? Like, that's the Sunday school answer. Jesus, 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 I got it, I got one, I got one. Even if you weren't here, you could have gotten that one, right? Because Jesus is the right answer for just about every question, especially in Sunday school. But you have this idea of, well, it's, it's Jesus, because why? Because of what I keep alluding to, the nodding of the head, right? Because if I had a church, I wouldn't just have a cross, I would have an empty tomb, too. And Jesus comes back and he says, the only group that you really want to be a part of, the only group that can transform at life is the cross and the empty tomb. It's the only one. Every other group raises themselves above and exploits and oppresses people. The Jesus group says, we'll be oppressed. We will go to the cross for you. Because we have a great confidence that there is a God who's able to raise us back to life. Okay? So that's what I mean when I say embrace Jesus, that we embrace the cross. And we embrace the empty tomb in a way that brings life to people. So don't elevate your own group, right? Be a part of your groups. That's totally fine. But don't, be, don't raise it above other identities Embrace Jesus. Conforming to worldly wisdom, I I alluded to this earlier, you're either being conformed to the pattern of this world or you're being transformed uh, by the the word of God. And when I say that, I'm not talking about a what, I'm talking about a who, right? The word of God is incarnate. He became incarnate. He is eternally existent. His name is Jesus. And as we sung today, he's my friend. And he calls us children, children. And so instead of being conformed to the pattern of this world, no, separate from from what the world is saying about all these things. The world's going to say, oh, get as much as you can, as fast as you can. Hold it for yourself. Who cares about other people? No, but Jesus is going to come along and say, no, you need to embrace the Jesus way, where we lay down things and we have this idea that we need to do this together, right? So separate from worldly wisdom. Here's one that was so beautiful that came up for me in, this, in, this first, in 1 Corinthians. The idea of not owning, but stewarding. Right? It's such a great concept to, to, realize, to, to realize how we actually aren't owners. By the way, uh, I've done some funerals, right? And there's nobody has ever, I have yet to see anybody who's taken something with them. In fact, I love that show about the pharaohs. You, uh, like uncovering Egypt or something. I don't know what it is. I don't know the title. But they're like going in and they're just, they're still making discoveries. It's crazy how much archaeological stuff is out there, right? And they're finding all kinds of stuff. And then the tombs are loaded. Well, they're mostly raided and stolen, which has got its own humor to it. But they're loaded. The ones, some of them, they're trying to take stuff to the afterlife with them. And no, it, it doesn't happen that way. You don't take anything because you're not the owner of it. You're, you're simply a steward of it. And they were very bad stewards of it, the pharaohs, right? Think about that. Think about taking all those resources and burying them with you instead of allowing those resources to bring life to other people. It's really bad. So you have this opportunity in your own life, whether it's the gifts that you have been given, you have an opportunity to steward those. I love that word stewardship. Because stewardship means, essentially, there's this outward focus of going, how am I going to use my gifts in a way that shows that I'm responsible to the one who gave them to me and that I get to be able to share them with other people? Stewardship. 
You're not an owner, you're a steward. And we'll get, we'll, it'll get reinforced in a minute. Hypocrisy. Now, I don't understand what's happening here at Kona Bible Church, okay? But the pews are less full today, and it's in the summer, which they should be, it should be empty-ish, right? We got a lot of people on vacation, people go pop, pop, pop. But they're starting to fill up, and I wonder, I just wonder if it's because people are a little less hypocritical here, and they're a little bit more authentic. That's the hope, and that's the prayer for our assembly, that as we gather together that we are authentically living out our faith, meaning that we're able to kind of go, hey, what, what does it say in the AA meetings? Hi, I'm Brian. I'm an alcoholic. Right? That's authentic living. That's, they took that. That model is essentially the church. And we have to be able to learn how we get together and go, hi, I'm Brian, I'm corrupted. Clem, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm glad you're here. I'd like to hear your story. Right? That's what we do. We get together. We, we recognize that we're corrupted, and yet there's this God who's able to overcome the corruption and make us new again. That's authentic living. Pretending that we're not corrupted is not authentic. So we have to kind of be able to do that. And, and the more we do that, the more other corrupted people are going to look at that and go, oh, that might be a home for me, right? Because the corruption exists in so many different areas, we can all relate one way or the other. And so there shouldn't be anybody that is in your life anywhere that's doing anything corrupted that you go, oh, you're, you shouldn't come on Sunday, Right? Like, how many times have you invited somebody to church and they're like, I think the lightning would strike me if I went into a church? Well, if that's the case, the lightning would strike all of us. Right? Because we are all corrupt. So we come together and we have that authentic relation. So you have to separate from the hypocrisy, right? Of of somehow going, what is hypocrisy? Literally, it's putting on a mask, it's an actor putting on a mask and pretending to be somebody he's not. No, we come together and we say, let me take the mask off and show you who I really am in my corrupted sense, and then let's claim and call on a God who's able to overcome that corruption. Let's do it together. That's what, that's what we need to uh, embrace, authenticity. We need to separate from exploiting others. Now that on the surface should just like, okay, Pastor, like... <laughs> I mean, I, even our culture is saying that, right? Well, good. I'm glad everyone, when our culture stumbles onto truth, I'm happy. And the fact that they have stumbled onto that truth, good. But here's what they have not followed it up with. What Jesus, what, what Gandhi and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said after, uh, based on Jesus' teaching, that you should embrace being exploited by others. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He essentially said, you know, look, you're taking Christians, are taking other Christians to court. Why not just be exploited? Right? Why not just suffer the loss instead of taking Christians into the world and suing them, claiming your rights? Right? But that's not, Paul's not just saying that. Jesus said it. What do you say? When somebody hits you on the cheek, what should you do? Turn the other cheek. When somebody wants your tunic, what should you do? 
your cloak. Then give him your tunic too. He's not saying that because out of some like, oh, just be this horrible person that receives all kinds of abuse. No, when you take the abuse and then give them extra, it shines a light on them. It shames their behavior. For you, imagine if you got hit and then you turned to them and said, with courage, like Dr. Martin Luther King, with courage, like Gandhi, stand up and say, now hit me on the other side of the cheek and I will still not retaliate. See, that's what Jesus' message is because it shames the, uh, the persecutor. It shames the oppressor. It shames them in a way that draws attention to their exploitation. That's the whole purpose behind that. And so uh, the message isn't just not to, don't just separate from explo- exploitation, right? Or being the exploiter. Embrace being exploited. When you do that, you step into the Jesus way, which is totally and radically different, and it actually invites other, the, the oppressor to, to recognize, oh, change needs to be made. Uh, we have the letters of the flesh. Oh, yeah, we need to separate from the letters of the flesh. I put that in quotes, right? Because letters are so popular today. I mean, uh, like, I've got an army person in my house right now. She's, she said there's letters everywhere in the army. Acronyms. They love acronyms, right? Well, we love letters as a society. In fact, we've moved beyond letters. We've got symbols now as a part of the letters. And it's an unending list. But guess what? The list is even longer in the Bible, okay? And, and sometimes it's moral. Sometimes it's amoral. Sometimes it's immoral, right? But there's letters that cover every one of us. And and what are you going to do? Are you going to just, you know, kind of continue to embrace a letter? No, that, this is terrible. I did it for however many years. As a married man, I I embraced the letter, uh, letters of, I'm not a good dad. I I should never have children because I could, I don't have, I, I can't be like my brother. My brother's an amazing father. I can't be him, right? Now, I didn't sit down and ruminate on that. It was just something that I I just kind of felt in my heart, and I never even really bothered to think about it. But any time the subject of kids came up, I was like, nah, <laughs> who needs kids? I'm complete. I'm fine. And then one day, a prophet said, you have the heart of a father. Do you see what he did? Gave me a new letter. Right? That's what we need to embrace, is the new letter. Whatever letter it is for you, I don't know if it's, like, letters are popular on our sexuality. When somebody comes up to me and says, I'm this, I say, not to me, you're not. You are so much more than that. Are you trying to tell me that that letter captures the depth of your, of who you are? No chance. No letter captures the depth of who you are. We sang about it today. I am a child of God. I am a friend of God. He's giving you, he's, he's inviting you to a new letter. Think about the old man versus the new man. That's the language that is used. He's inviting you to see a new person. No longer do you have to be kind of, uh, you know, kind of labeled with a letter, but you get to embrace a new letter or letters. I mean, since one's not enough. N- NM or NW, new man, new woman, or just NC, new creation. 
See, God has called you to that, and he's invited you to that, but you got to separate out of this idea of letters that are oftentimes associated with the flesh and embrace the letters that are associated with faith. New creation. Owning your body. Oh, here we are, back to ownership. Owning your body versus stewarding your body. Right? I mean, that, like, it's like a, such a weird conversation that we're having. In like the last 10 years, all of a sudden, something crazy is happening, and people are doing, they're like, I can do whatever I want with my body. I'm, I'm who I am. I do, no, your body's a gift, folks. And, and, and so if you receive that as a gift, like the, your body's going to be taken away from you. You know that, right? Like, in fact, you voluntarily gave it over by exerting your will over God's will for your life. And so you will lose your body, but thanks be to God, he promised you a new one, which is a gift. The new body's a gift. So for you to somehow lay ownership or a claim to ownership over your body and, and somehow say, I can do whatever I want with it. I can put whatever substance I want into it. I can do, I can change it however. No, you're missing the point. You're a steward of your body. So separate from the idea of owning it and embrace the idea of stewarding your body. Same exact concept as we talked earlier on, on owning and stewarding. Oh, how about self-centered marriage? Self-centered, you got to leave that behind. You got to separate out of that. And what do you have to embrace? Whew. Whew. It's painful. It's painful. You have to embrace. You have to. The Bible's telling me that I should consider embracing a spouse centered marriage. I can't say that I've fully adopted that. I'm reminded of it regularly. Not so much in an invitational manner. It's usually more in a direct, you need to do this. But nevertheless, a spouse-centered marriage is what we need to embrace. And why? Why do we have to embrace that? Because it's a reflection of the Trinity. Right? That's what, that's what husband-wife relationship, it's a reflection of this Trinitarian relationship where they are all honoring one another. Right? They're all in it for one another, this beautiful, perfect relationship, and the closest thing we have on earth is the marriage relationship. And, and then, the, you know, the next closest one? It's the church. Those are the two illustrations used when we think about who the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are together. The scripture gives us the marriages and the church. And which two things do you think Satan attacks the most? Churches and marriages, right? Because he knows that they're a reflection of God, and he doesn't want them to do that. So leave behind a self-centered marriage and embrace a spouse-centered marriage. Rebecca, I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying, baby. I'm committed to trying. Uh, separate from slogan Christianity and embrace all of Scripture. You can't just do, you can't take two verses out. You can't somehow find a couple of verses that talk about, oh, the Lord wants you to be healthy and wealthy, and then somehow miss all the rest of Scripture. Does God want you to be healthy and wealthy? Yes. But does he also expect you to do the head nod to the cross? Yes. 
Like, we have to lay down our rights. Like, we're going to be persecuted. Rebecca read in the earlier service, if they called the master Jesus, if they called him essentially a demon, what do you think they're going to call us? Right? Like, if he got persecuted, what do you think his followers are going to, we're going to be persecuted, and we're called to that, to be able to, to do that. So you can't just glom on to some slogan in Christianity. You have to get to know the person of Jesus. All of scripture is who Jesus is. Get to know him. Walk with him. Claiming your rights. Oh my goodness, really? Man, I wish I could preach this message in like, I don't know, India or Africa or somewhere. But to Americans, this is rough. You're all sitting there looking at me and going, ha we have rights. I've been told about them all my life. In fact, our founding documents say that I have rights. And so who are you to say that I don't have rights? Well... I'm just pointing you to the, the guy who told you. His name's Jesus. And he said you need to lay down those rights because that's what Jesus did. Again, nod to the cross, nod to the empty tomb. This idea of you, we, we have to separate out from claiming our rights and in, embrace uh, laying them down. How, what about this? Uh, separate from ignoring history. <laughs> yeah, I like this. Paul goes into this idea of, he uses three different illustrations, and he says, there's these things that happened in history and to, the, to Israel. And why did they happen? Remember? Do you remember why they happened? For us. So that we wouldn't follow in the same mistakes. Now, think about that for a second, right? You, you think about being in your own life. It's not just Israel's history. It's our history. It's why we need to it's why we need to have intergenerational families, right? So that young people can be around old people so that old people can say, you know, back in my day, when I was going to school uphill in snow both directions, they can tell you all the things that they did so that the next generation doesn't have to, to follow along, right? That's why scripture was given to us. Why would we read the Old Testament? One of the great reasons to read it is to learn what not to do. Uh, so instead of, you, you got to separate away from ignoring the history, and you have to embrace the lessons of history. And again, there is a lot of lessons in the historical scriptural history, but there's also lessons in our individual histories that we have to embrace. And, and what do you have to do to do that? Well, you have to be willing to hear stories. You have to be curious about other people, and you have to ask them questions, and you have to invite them to share their story, not just so that they can feel good about themselves, but so that you might be able to learn, like, like what do you think AA is? Like, any of those anonymous groups, like, what do you think that is? They're all getting around and going, hi, I'm corrupted, and here's my corrupted story, right? So that we don't follow the same path, right? We have to be together to do that. Well, then we talked about separating from gender confusion. Well, that'd be good. And embracing gender harmony. Separate from gender confusion, embrace gender harmony. And you know how to do that? Women, you all have to wear head coverings. <laughs> oh, no, that wasn't the point. That wasn't the point. No, head coverings were just a symbol of a heart situation, right? A heart where we recognize, oh, there's complexity in these gender relationships. And, and the reality is that... Uh, that wearing that it demonstrates a heart perspective of recognizing 
that the male has a sensitive ego. Right? Like, I'm going to show some deference to the male sensitive ego. And while the Lord isn't done with the males in my life and the sensitive egos, he's working to overcome that corrupted male sensitive ego. I, as a woman, am going to separate from that, and I'm going to show some deference here. Right? We saw it today with some beautiful, Sharma, your exhortation today during worship, like, I don't know if you caught that, but I was sitting there saying, preach it, sister. Now, in certain circles, like, my daughter just came up to me this, like, in, in, not to me, but to, in, into a group of people and said, are women allowed to pastor? And I'm sitting there going, oh, when they, when they have a heart that defers? Like, I was looking at you two as a couple. And I was like, like, Dorn, like, he's not necessarily going to be the vocal one, right? Like, Sharma's been given a voice. She, God has gifted her with a voice. And together, the two of them are going into the chaos and bringing, she brought us order purpose, and life with the words that you said today. And you did it because you have a heart that defers. It's obvious with you, right? Like you can tell when a woman has a heart that is able to be heard and you have a, a, a when a woman has a heart that nobody wants to hear because it's, it's, she's, you're wearing the head covering essentially in the right way, right? Because right? it's the heart. Now, we could probably talk and walk through that. Like, that doesn't come without work, the two of them. To be able to have that, to be able to walk together side by side to honor that. But that's what we're called to do, and that's why I'm doing it right now. What am I doing? I'm lifting her up, and I am saying, well done. Because as the men in the crowd, what we have to do in order to get gender harmony is we have to set aside the corrupted, sensitive male ego. And we have to say, ah, these women have been given to us as experts. I cannot go into the chaos and bring order, purpose in life without them. It's not possible to do it. So somehow we have to kind of take advantage of those opportunities. Well, Rebecca, to watch you, my wife. We need to be a people who separate away from the confusion and embrace the harmony that we were called to live with, right? We also need to, to limit limiting life to physical and natural. This is all the whole gospel of Luke. Jesus kept coming down saying, move beyond the life. Like, yes, there's a fig tree. Yeah, I cursed it. Okay, is that what you're going to focus on, the cursing of the physical fig tree? Because you're missing the point, okay? I mean, he did it over and over and over and over again. And everybody's like tripping on like, wait a minute, you're telling me I have to go back into my mother's womb to be born again? Like, how much more dense can we be and emphasizing the, the natural and the physical? No, it's, there's a spiritual reality to this life. And we have to embrace not just the spiritual but the supernatural, now I put that in quotes on my paper. I put that on quotes because, I, I, I don't know if you've ever seen this, 
But if you see somebody using the gift of administration, ho-ho! You have just witnessed the supernatural. And if you don't know that, then you do not understand our faith. If you are limiting the supernatural to gifts of healing or like speaking in tongues or something like that, you don't get it. Because the supernatural is exerted when we use our spiritual gifts and see life coming from it. A miracle has just taken place. You have a a disorganized, chaotic office, and somebody who's been gifted with organization and administration comes in and makes that office like all of a sudden workable and usable. Woo! Something supernatural just took place. A miracle. Thank you, Jesus. Right? That's what we just saw. Right? We need to embrace that idea of the supernatural. Well, we talked about independence, and I cannot stress this enough, the interdependent nature of of the relationships that we're in. And finally, we have this idea of a powerless, impersonal resurrection. This is my great fear in being repetitive, because I say it all the time. There's a God who's able to raise the dead back to life. And what I, I, sometimes I feel like the need to say is, and that resurrection impacts you, Like, it's not just this distant thing that's outside of us. It personally impacts you, and it's powerful. And so when we think about this idea of of, of walking through this, we go, oh, we need to embrace a powerful and personal resurrection. When was the last time? Can you, when was the last time? Can you go up to somebody and say that you'd like them to meet your friend Jesus? Can you say that? You say that. Because if you can, what that means is you've probably had a powerful and personal encounter with the risen Jesus that has transformed you. And this is why we have to tell our, this is why we have to say, hi, I'm Brian, I'm corrupt. And let me tell you how the Lord has overcome my corruption. It, it, It takes a miracle. As Rebecca would know, it takes a miracle to get through my thick skull. So, and do that. So, finally, you, you think about the, the whole thing. Separate from division, embrace unity. That's the message of 1 Corinthians. Here's a good question to ask yourself at the end of, of every book. What would your life be like if this book didn't exist? Like, like if, if, you, if we didn't have 1 Corinthians, what would it be like? And you think about all these different ways that we understand now how we are bred, we have this natural sense of division in us, and that we need the Holy Spirit to cooperate with him to overcome that division, right? That, all that would be missing. If we didn't have that, we would be like the world, where we would just be suffering. Like, think about the people who lived back before the law was given, and they were just, uh, it, was, it was characterized as a violent horrible world to live in, very chaotic, and with death that pervaded, death and corruption that pervaded, and they didn't know why. See, 1 Corinthians is a beautiful gift to us. It gives us an opportunity to kind of, to, to really take the pulse of our own lives and be able to really see, are we, as individuals and a body, a fellowship, are we maturing in our faith? 
Because if we're maturing in our faith, then what we ought to be able to see is less division and greater unity. And then what happens is all of a sudden, the world, like bugs delight, are attracted and go, oh, I haven't seen that done anywhere. What's your secret sauce? And then we get to tell them all about our friend. His name is Jesus. Father, this is my prayer for us. That as you have proclaimed this good news to us, that we will see our desperate need of it. And that we will will take a step toward you, embracing these things and separating from the things that lead to division. Father, will you be faithful to us to give us the strength, the power, the conviction to be able to embrace more and more of the life you would have for us? We ask these things in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said...